This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Articles 30 and 31 of the Belgic Confession. We'll read that together. If you'd like to read along, you can find it on page 512 in the Book of Praise. Article 30, the Government of the Church. We believe that this true church must be governed according to the spiritual order which our Lord has taught us in his word. There should be ministers or pastors to preach the word of God and to administer the sacraments. There should also be elders and deacons who together with the pastors form the council of the church. By these means they preserve the true religion. They see to it that the true doctrine takes its course that evil men are disciplined in a spiritual way and are restrained, and also that the poor and all the afflicted are helped and comforted according to their need. By these means, everything will be done well and in good order when faithful men are chosen in agreement with the rule that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy. Article 31 is the officers of the church. We believe that ministers of God's word, elders and deacons, ought to be chosen to their offices by lawful election of the church with prayer and in good order as stipulated by the word of God. Therefore, everyone shall take care not to intrude by improper means. He shall wait for the time that he is called by God so that he may have sure testimony and thus be certain that his call comes from the Lord. Ministers of the word in whatever place they are have equal power and authority, for they are all servants of Jesus Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. In order that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or rejected, we declare that everyone must hold the ministers of the word and the elders of the church special esteem because of their work, and as much as possible be at peace with them without grumbling or arguing. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the spiritual order in the Scriptures consists of God the Father governing the Church through His Son Jesus Christ, who leads the Church in every location by His Holy Spirit and His Word. In this spiritual order, God uses people who are ordained through the congregation to be servants of Jesus Christ the only universal bishop, the only head of the church. These people are given authority from God to serve God and to serve his church. The spiritual order which our Lord has taught us in his word is not always received with joy. Those whom God appoints to office don't always want to serve him. Those whom Christ places under the authority of office bearers don't always enjoy the call to submit. There can be general dislike for the idea of imposing God's will on others, especially when that includes the correction and punishment of discipline. Sometimes we don't like what God is doing. But whether or not we always like it, we confess that we believe that the true church must be governed according to the spiritual order which our Lord Jesus has taught us in his word. 
And the topic of our confession in Articles 30 and 31 is particularly re relevant right now in our congregation in Emmanuel as we again have the task of electing and appointing some elders and deacons to take the place of elders and deacons whose term has ended. And as we go through this process, it's good to remember that God himself has commanded the true church to choose faithful men in agreement with the rule that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy and Titus, and that Christ himself stands behind the appointment, and the ministry, and the authority of these office bearers. It's good news to celebrate that the triune God is with his church in such a personal and visible way. And I preached you this gospel under the theme that Christ cares for his church through office bearers who serve him. We'll see their appointment, their ministry, and their authority. When we read together Exodus chapters 3 and 4, and even starting at Exodus 2, verse 23, we find that these verses are very comforting to read because they reveal that the Lord in heaven is able to see the suffering and oppression of his chosen people on the earth. Their cry for rescue came up to God. We read that God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. This is the God we worship today. And although we may find ourselves bound up in our sins or suffering under oppression or alone or afraid in our despair, we may know as we read this and be reminded that the Lord God in heaven sees our suffering. He hears our groaning and he knows. And he reveals this to us so that we may persevere through difficult times as he sustains us. And so we look to him in humble prayer to act on our behalf to deliver us. Exodus is also very helpful because it re reveals to us how God responds to our needs when he hears our cries. Although he himself, God himself, could have destroyed Egypt without any warning or preaching or calling to repentance, he didn't do this. Rather, the Lord worked within the existing structures of families and leadership that he had established at creation so that his headship and his authority could be experienced through the, the, the visible means of the loving care of leaders who were known and respected by his people. In Exodus 3, verse 16, we read about the elders among the people of Israel. It's likely that as the nation grew after the period of the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the older members of the different clans and families and tribes, they took leadership roles. And so they began to, to represent the people. The word elder in this context re refers to the older men, the grandfathers and the fathers among the people who were wise and understanding and experienced and who would eventually be appointed as representatives, judges of their, their clans. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 1. 
this understanding for the need for fatherly figures in, in the congregation with a loving interest in the well-being of, of the children of God, that the family of the church, that continues to guide the appointment of spiritual leaders in the church today. And beside the natural call to leadership through their placement in existing families, Exodus shows us that the Lord sometimes also appointed special prophets and priests and kings to lead more people than just their own families. The same God who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to call them to lead his church later appeared to Moses in that burning bush. Moses was told that he was on holy ground the time of his appointment. The Lord revealed then that his calling to office was sacred and divine. And no objection of Moses was considered enough to prevent him from serving. Because Moses loved the Lord and, and loved his church and he had shown his past passion. And the Lord himself promised to be with him. And Moses' objections, and some of them we read together, they remind office bearers today of the, of the many objections that arise in our minds when God calls us through his congregation. His first objection, why should anyone listen to me? To which God replied that he was with Moses. So the people were actually called to listen not to Moses, but to, to God through Moses. And then he asked, well, how will the people know that I heard from you, that I, that I know you? To which God replied to reveal his name, which was known by all. Moses' third objection was, what if they simply don't believe my claims to knowing you? To which God replied, giving him signs of his divine appointment. And you could have read that in Exodus 4. He put his hand in and took it out. It was leprous and he put it back in and it was healed. Also the staff that turned into uh, a snake. And so we see that the Lord was assuring Moses that he was with him. And then Moses used his own inabilities as an objection. He explained that he wasn't an eloquent speaker, for he was slow of speech and tongue, to which God replied to assure him that God himself would help him to speak well. And finally, Moses just outright admitted that he didn't want to, hit, to go, and he begged God to send someone else. Moses was speaking here as if he needed to be great in himself in order to serve the Lord. And the Lord's anger in his, in his response reveals that this was not humility on Moses' part, but it was an over-focus on himself. God's promise to give Aaron to help Moses reveals that God doesn't call the equipped, but he, he does always equip those whom he, he calls. Most objections to serving in the office, once we're, we've been elected, they fail because they ignore that the Lord himself equips faithful men that he calls to serve him in his church. That's offensive to God. God was angry with Moses' response. You can be sure that if God appointed you, he will give you what you need to fulfill your office and calling. 
So how can we have the sure testimony that we confess, the sure testimony that makes us certain that our call and appointment comes from the Lord? Today we don't have burning bushes and the Lord's direct reply to our particular concerns. But we do have the Holy Spirit who dwells in the church and and who guides God's congregation with understanding and wisdom. When the apostle was establishing churches with elders and deacons in every place, the Lord revealed his will concerning whom to appoint to the office through the cooperation, prayer, election, and appointment from the congregation. And so we learn from Scripture that it is not the church leadership that chooses its own successors, nor is it the individual himself, nor is it exclusively the members of the congregation, but it is God who appoints leaders through the congregation in cooperation with his leaders. And you can see that, for example, in Acts 13 and Acts 14. Article 31 explains what the New Testament teaches concerning the appointment of office bearers. And we just read that together. If you'd like to read more, you can have a, there's a very nice explanation in our church order in Article 3, in page 647 of the Book of Praise. And when the biblical procedure is followed as it's so nicely outlined in these places, men who are being ordained can confidently state that they feel in their hearts that God himself, through his congregation, has called them to office. And that's one of the, the answers and one of the, the questions that are asked of elders and deacons when they're ordained. God's appointment to office is holy and sacred ground. It may not be mocked or treated lightly, whether by office bearers or by the congregation. Christ himself is caring for his church by the office bearers who serve him. And we'll see this as we consider the ministry of the office bearers. And since they are called and appointed by God through his congregation in the spiritual order of the church, it is clear that the ministry of the office bearers is to express God's love for his church by serving his church. Throughout history, the biblical mandates that we also confess together in these articles to preach the word of God and to administer the sacraments, to see to it that true doctrine takes its course, that evil men are disciplined in a spiritual way and are restrained, and also that the poor and the afflicted are helped and comforted according to their need. This mandate has been upheld in all faithful churches. Although it's possible to divide up these three distinct mandates in fewer or in more offices, we confess that in our churches these tasks will be divided up in three offices, ministers, elders, and deacons. This conclusion is based on the distinction of elders who labor in preaching and teaching from elders who rule in 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 which we distinguish in our churches with the titles the minister of the word and the elder. The office of deacon 
is distinguished from the ministers and elders in the address to the church at Philippi, Philippians 1, verse 1, and in the qualifications that Paul lists in 1 Timothy 3. And so we see the ministry of the special offices in Christ's church, the, the ministers and the elders and the deacons, is to reflect Christ's desire that God's people and the world around hear the proclamation of the gospel, that the congregation is protected from false teaching and from evildoers, and that in times of hardship and affliction and loneliness, God's people are comforted. We see proclamation, protection, encouragement, and comfort. All this work belongs to the spiritual care of Christ's body, the spiritual order of his church. And since all these needs are related to the authority of the Bible and the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ, the office bearers, equal before God in their different tasks, are to cooperate with one another as a council of the church, as we confess. Moses was commanded to speak to the elders of Israel. Elders in the plural, a group of people. Moses was to cooperate with the elders in his work of approaching Pharaoh. We read about that in Exodus 3, verse 18. The plurality of leaders working together is a very important biblical principle that is evident both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. For example, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. And in this group, this cooperating group, we, we confess, we see in Scripture, there's no hierarchy that places the deacons above the elders or the minister above the elders or one elder or minister above another elder or minister, but we confess all are servants of Jesus Christ, the universal bishop, the only head of the church. Having more than one elder, deacon, and minister, working together with the same authority from Christ in their different tasks, allows for different viewpoints from the angle of the different tasks in the church. That deepens the amount of biblical knowledge and practical experiences that can be depended on to make decisions. Another important benefit of this cooperation is that more people in the congregation can be represented in the decisions that are made concerning the care of the church. If Moses was to lead the people of Israel, he needed to, to have the support and the approval of, of all the elders. And he needed that support because the elders represented the congregation, the, the people as a whole, in their meeting with Moses. And when we remember that office bearers are often members of families who are members in the congregation, and that they are called to give special attention to the unique needs of all the members in their wards as they cooperate together to make decisions, it becomes clear that in the spiritual order of the church, there will always be a, willing, a desire to willingly cooperate between all those in office and those who are not serving in the office. It's important to understand the ministry and mandate given to the office bearers when we nominate and choose men to serve in the different offices. 
The key work of these men we are choosing is to love, to serve, to lead as God's representatives in a cooperative manner with other leaders, also representing the congregation who they need to know. And that means the characteristics of an office bearer are humility and meekness and boldness. And when we are called upon to to nominate and elect leaders, we should be looking for men who know God's word very well, who have given examples of godly leadership in their homes and workplaces, who are not afraid to, to give their lives for the truth of the gospel, who are available in terms of their time and circumstances to dedicate themselves to the church and who have displayed wisdom and patience in dealing with weaknesses and sins. The promise of Scripture that we confess is that everything will be done well and in good order when faithful men are chosen in agreement with the rule that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. And that's why when we have a meeting, an election, that that passage of Timothy is so often read. Servant leaders are gifts of Christ for his church on earth. It's a, this whole process we see as a, a spiritual process that is led by the Holy Spirit. And those who submit to the authority of Jesus Christ will also submit to the authority that he gives to office bearers. Moses was particularly worried about how he would be received by the people of Israel that he was called to lead. Earlier in his life, a fellow Israelite had asked him, who made you prince and judge over us? And you can imagine that was still in his mind many years later. And after taking care of sheep out in the hills for for so long, he didn't feel that he had the right gifts for the calling that the Lord was giving to him. I can identify with that. And I think most men who have served in positions of leadership in the church could too. The concern is that if people find weaknesses in you and they do not respect your position in their lives, then it will be very difficult to have the authority you need to carry out the task of your mandate and and your office. It's kind of like the feeling of hesitation that we have when we know we need to address a friend or a fellow member concerning a sin that they are committing, and we can't help but feel a little bit hypocritical when we consider how many wrong things we ourselves have done. Well, do you remember how the Lord answered Moses when he was worried about how people would receive him? God told Moses many times to simply tell the people that God had sent him. Or in other words, that God himself had given him authority. The people may have known that that Moses had such a temper that he killed an Egyptian. They may have known that he was nothing more than a lowly shepherd, that he was almost killed by the angel of death for not circumcising his own son. But now they also had to know that, in spite of all these things, Moses was God's 
servant. God said that I am have sent I am who I am had sent Moses. His authority came from the Lord. And Moses' authority was dependent on the Lord's decision and calling. And a very humbling thing for a man, for an office bearer to, to recognize. In spite of who you are, God sends you. And although Moses was too meek to insist on this when he was confronted by his, his siblings, by Aaron and Miriam, for marrying a Cushite woman, the Lord did not hesitate to teach his church how they are to receive those whom he has appointed. The Lord's question echoes through the ages. If I choose to reveal my will to you through this servant, why were you not afraid to speak against him? Today also, the mantle of authority that office bearers have for the time that they serve in their offices is given to them by the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls, Christ Jesus himself, who appoints them to their task in spite of their weaknesses and sins. How many times have we judged a minister, an elder, or deacon based on his weaknesses that are not a reason for discipline, or even his mannerisms, and then rejected his authority out of hand? How many times have we sneered at a council, or a minister, or an elder, or a deacon, because we disagree with their conclusions and we're convinced that we could do better, sounding a lot like Aaron and Miriam? And brothers and sisters, can we, can we see how this goes against the very teaching of Scripture that we confess, whether we like it or not, God chose to use men to lead in our struggles against sin. And even though it may be a temporary task, and it's shared by many different men in the congregation, office bearers have divine authority to comfort us with the gospel, to show us the joys of belonging to God, and to call us to repentance when we sin. Like the great Moses before them, the work of Christ in our congregation through these men must be also recognized by the flock that is under their care, to use the words of Paul in Acts 20, verse 28. If we believe that the holy ordinances of God may not be violated or rejected, then we must also do what we confess. And hold the ministers of the word and the elders, we can add the deacons of the church, in special esteem because of their work. And as much as possible, be at peace with them without grumbling or arguing. That's what we confess in Article 31 of the Belgic Confession. Now this confession does not mean that we may never disagree with an office bearer or a council or even correct them from God's word when they are sinning. And we'll see also in the next article that there can be no binding of the conscience against the Word of God. But the authority, or because the authority of office bearers is limited by God's Word and the work that Christ has called them to do in the church. And since we all equally desire to live according to the truth, a faithful council, a faithful group of leaders 
will actually help members write appeals with requests for clarification on different doctrines and decisions. There's a continual cooperation as we pursue the truth. But this confession does mean that we will treat the men that God has appointed through his church with respect and special esteem because of their work. And you'll notice that in our confession, which is taken straight out of the scriptures, where the Holy Spirit tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If we truly believe that Christ is governing his church, that God is attending to our cries for for mercy through the office bearers who serve him, then we also see that our, our grumbling and our arguing, to use the words of our confession against them, is ultimately grumbling and arguing directed to Jesus Christ who appointed them. In the same way, when we recognize their authority and seek to cooperate with them to help them reflect Christ in their office even more, then we are glorifying the universal bishop who is Jesus Christ. Such a thankful response to Christ's work upon, uh, among us is a sign that we profess the true religion. It's even included in the questions asked of those who want to declare their faith publicly. There's only four questions, and one of them is, are you willing to submit yourself to Christ's leadership in your life, also through the office bearers? And brothers and sisters, we see in all this, in, in the passages we read and in, the, in our confession, how important it is to look through the instruments and sometimes even weak instruments that God uses to see the hands of the Almighty in heaven who holds them, who, who is using these men in his, in his church. Christ cares for his congregation through faithful men who serve him in these offices. And we thank and we praise the Lord himself for his care and his attention that reaches into every part of our lives. Amen.